welcome to the Be Filled Podcast. Together, we will explore the deepest desires of the human heart and how our Creator wants to fulfill your every longing. Join us as we explore the beautiful teaching of St. Pope John Paul II on the theology of the body. We are so excited you're here on the journey with us. Open your heart to be filled. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Be Filled Podcast. My name is Rochelle Parker, and I'm here today with my friends, Sister Cecilia Ann, Katie Davis, and Patty Strauss. It's so good to see you ladies. And I am so happy that all of you listeners have chosen to spend time with us as we ponder the teachings of St. Pope John Paul II. First, we just want to give a big shout out to Leslie over at The Mirror for publishing a beautiful article about our little podcast. Um, By the time this episode is released, that would have come out about a month ago, but we just wanted to really thank you um, for just supporting us. And that just brings to mind for me how blessed we are in this diocese that we have a very supportive bishop and um, many priests um, that really love theology of the body and are so encouraging. So we are very grateful for that. So we have been working our way through um, John Paul II's Theology of the Body. So far, we've covered audiences one through 10. um, And that included an introduction to this chapter that we are on, what is meant by beginning. We've also talked about original solitude and original unity. And today we're going to be looking at the third original experience of man before the fall, and that's original nakedness. And this is found in audiences 11 through 13, 1 in the text. So we're going to get started. The first couple paragraphs are just some introductory observations about the scripture passage that John Paul II is focusing on. And the first thing that he starts with is kind of explaining why these original experiences are important. Um, You may be listening and wondering, you know, why would these experiences that took place so long ago at the beginning of our existence be relevant for us today? And John Paul II says that these experiences are important because they are always at the root of every human experience. And he goes on to say that they are so interwoven with the ordinary things of life that we generally do not realize their extraordinary character. So basically he's saying it's so ingrained in us that we're not even really conscious conscious of it and we're not really recognizing it in the everyday. But as we've been sharing, um, as you begin to learn about these original experiences, you really do recognize them um, in your personal experience. Like I said, today we're going to talk about original nakedness. And the scripture that John Paul II focuses on um, is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, which says, Now both were naked, the man and his wife, but they did not feel shame. So I've been reflecting a lot about how I received the creation story when I first heard it, which was when I I don't remember. I was like a little child. You know, obviously, this is the first story in the Bible. And so we tend to learn that when we are children and we receive them as children. And so I was thinking about when I first heard this verse, 
I am pretty sure that I might have been very uncomfortable <laughs> with this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> with just the word naked. And I still cannot say it without <laughs> smiling for some reason. Um, and I'm sure that that is not just me, I hope. Not just me, maybe? Not just okay, you. good. Um, so I think that I did not get to the part about they had no shame as a child or probably even older because I was kind of embarrassed that they were naked. Um, but if that's you, just get ready for your whole definition of nakedness in this context to change. Um, you're going to have a completely different experience and perspective on it. Um, and even John Paul II acknowledges that this statement might seem really out of place here, but he goes on to say, and this is a quote, um, that in the first biblical sketch of anthropology, it is not something accidental, but rather it is precisely the key for understanding it and understanding it fully and completely. So we are going to get into this discussion now. Um, what thoughts did you all have on these opening paragraphs? Well, I think that um, Raw Woods, which is like the K through 12 curriculum, it always helps me when we're going back to kind of like you said, Rochelle, thinking about our childhood and our thoughts about what nakedness means. And um, they have this beautiful... Um, sheet that you can take home with you um, and discuss. It's kind of a resource for parents to discuss original nakedness with their children. It helped me with my understanding a lot, but I can also see how kind of the wording would help as well. So I thought I would just share a little bit from the try this at home sheet, but basically they were going back to like what the original nakedness actually meant um, in, in that Genesis 2.25. And, um, of course, they always go back to the root of the word. So the Hebrew word for naked is actually deeper than just, like, without clothes. And mm -hmm. so that's why we can kind of maybe look into it without giggling. And um, it actually means nothing is covering the person. Nothing is hidden. And mm -hmm. so Adam and Eve were completely open to each other and open to the world. And so we can then assume that this original nakedness is seeing as God sees the world and everything in it. And it is a gift and it is very good. So mm -hmm. they kind of open um, with that explanation to kind of set the stage um, for talking to your kids. And then they um, have these beautiful activities. So I thought it would be nice to kind of share with you all if you want to kind of do some of these activities with your kids. But it basically said, read Genesis 2, 4 through 25, which is basic, basically the creation account of man and woman, but it ends with naked and without shame. So if you're reading that with your children, then you kind of awkwardly stare at each other like, hmm, that was an interesting verse to end on, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of see what they said. But they have these great like prompting questions that you can ask. And so they kind of say, you can ask your child questions like, um, the word naked means more than just being without clothes. When a baby is born, it is born naked, but we don't think of that as silly as awkward or awkward. I wonder what God might want us to understand about Adam and Eve when scripture says they were naked. And then you can kind of work into um, the conversation, like the, the um, definition of naked that we 
just discussed. And then, you know, the follow-up would be um, to ask, do you think Adam and Eve might have a particular way of seeing the world? Are there any clues in scripture? And then that way you can open up to like not hiding anything and being open and seeing the world as God sees the world. And then it has you close by reading Genesis one thirty one, which is when um, it says God saw everything he made and it was very good. And you can kind of reaffirm that. How does God see the world? Is there something similar about the way that Adam and Eve might have saw the world at that point and get them to kind of see that um, that view um, of original nakedness in its true and right state? And then the last thing that it has you do is just discuss ways that your family is open and transparent with each other. And how does this attitude help us receive others as a gift from God? And so... I just love the way that they like just really simply broke it down um, and they really um, they weren't hiding anything. They were just being really open about original nakedness and seeing uh, having you not avoid the topic, but talk about it in its true sense. What do you think, sister? Oh, I think that explanation was beautiful. To be honest, when I read uh, this passage or these passages, what came to my mind was our earlier conversations on freedom. And just, you know, the gift of freedom, but with freedom comes a consequence, you know, and, um, you know, God wanting us to to really accept or to be free in the truth. And when we know the truth is what God had uh, his plan for humanity. And so I think we look at that, you talk about nothing being hidden. You know, the, the truth of God is that God made us good. God made us for a purpose and someday to, someday to be with him in heaven. And so that's kind of where my mind kept going back is to the concept of freedom if we use our freedom well uh, we choose that which god has planned for us it will continue to bring us back to those original uh, graces that he intended for us if not uh thus the struggle mm-hmm. Patty. yeah and i i my reflection kind of summed up all of that because with the transparency in our families with the freedom that we have to relate it, it brought me to my reflection on um uh Looking at it, it said John Paul II further affirms in John 17, 21 to 22, that man becomes an image of God, not so much in the moment of solitude as in the moment of communion. And the Trinitarian concept is that image of God, so that communion. So when we're seeking the transparency in our families, when we're seeking that freedom to do what God wants us to do, it really is forming at the very core that whole knowing of of communion in in the very real sense so that even when we look at nakedness without shame, so we're we're talking about all of this and I encourage everyone to read these passages because it'll strike you in a very personal way. But I was like, so what is without shame? And again, I also went to the um, children's books to to kind of simplify all these things in my mind. There was so much depth here and I was struggling to keep it very simple so um, I also looked at a Ruah book for the, um, for the middle school, and it said, so without shame, it is the experience of seeing the person as God sees them, and therefore treating him with the reverence that is due. In this experience, one is able to fully understand the true value of the whole person. It's the experience of seeing the other more fully and clearly, and that's what we're striving for in our families. It was what we're striving for in our relationships my daughter was like, so why do we look at original man? What is that? And I, I, 
And then she was like, because I'm not going to be able to obtain that. And I was like, well, but what does our Lord do? He He gives us the, the model. He gives us what we're striving for so we don't settle for less. So we keep striving in our families for that um, for that transparency to be more vulnerable, to be more real, because that leads us to that that union, that communion, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, that is so good. Thank you so much, you guys. Wow, I feel like we could just be done now. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, folks. Okay. Um, No, really, I love how you guys were able to bring in um, the Real Woods curriculum because this is what we love about that curriculum is how it breaks it down and makes it a little bit simpler um, to understand. And not just for the kids. I mean, I really need that level too (laughs) a lot as well. So, um, thank you guys. What a great way to get started. So now we're going to move on to the next, uh, couple, um, paragraphs here. Um, we're going to talk about shame a little bit more and also John Paul II's attempted reconstruction. That's how he entitles that section. Basically, what he does is he begins to unpack that meaning of being naked without shame. And he writes this statement about naked without shame. He says that undoubtedly this describes their state of consciousness, or even better, their reciprocal experience of the body, man's experience of femininity through the woman's body, and the woman's experience of masculinity through the man's body. He then goes on to contrast their experience of nakedness without shame with how they experience nakedness after the fall. And we read about that experience in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so this is the entrance of shame for man and woman. And before we open it up for our discussion, I just kind of wanted to put out there the definition of shame that John Paul II um, writes about, because I think it is very powerful and maybe a bit different than a definition we might have um, normally. So he defines it in two parts. First, he talks about it's an experience of fear in the face of, he calls the second I or the other person, right? So for example, the woman before the man or the man before the woman, an experience of fear. And this is substantial fear for one's own I. So basically it's a self-protective fear. Um, And we're going to kind of unpack this even more. Um, So it's that self-protective fear. And at the same time, an instinctive need for the affirmation and acceptance of the other person according to its proper value. So basically, it's this conflicting feeling of fear of intimacy and yet this desire for intimacy and closeness, kind of a push-pull sort of thing going on. And John Paul II says it's a complex experience because it distances one human being from another and seeks at the same time their personal approach toward each other. So then he goes on to explain or help us to understand what being naked without shame is and 
what it is not <laughs> for the first man and woman. So there's quite a bit, I think, here that we could talk about. But ladies, what are your reflections on this section about shame and John Paul II's initial discussion of what it means um, that the first man and woman did not experience it? Well, I know what I was thinking about shame. Uh, we remember that the body reveals a person. And so um, I was thinking about, well, when was the first time I really experienced shame? And again, the shame is not necessarily bad. It helps us recognize, you know, that, that so uh, the love of consciousness, if we've done something wrong or we've used something wrong. Um, but honestly, I grew up in a, a very nice family. Uh, there, I was uh, the ninth of 11 children, so there were a lot of us. But I grew up in a very Czech family, you know. Um, my grandparents, uh, my mom, well, both my parent, grandparents, um, all of them, uh, spoke Czech. And so on my dad's side, they also spoke English. On my mom's side, my grandfather just spoke Czech to us anyway. And um, that's when he was comfortable speaking. So I grew up knowing a lot of, you know, maybe Czech words here and there and phrases. And then acting at a very young age, you know, um, I started the kindergarten, you know. Up to that time, I guess, most of your interactions were with uh, family and, and those close associates. I remember going to kindergarten and talking to my friends. And obviously, I had learned to say some words that were Czech, and I didn't realize that they were Czech. I just thought they were English words. <laughs> oh. And so people kind of look at you odd, you know. Or I learned to pronounce words that, you know, some of the people I learned from their first language was not English. And, and it's not uncommon for um, people maybe who are learning English to have, you know, to find um, difficulty maybe in saying some words. And so there were some words that I just said very differently. And I remember kids looking at me and saying, why do you talk that way? And and feeling really ashamed, like, oh, my goodness. And I think it goes back. I wanted to be accepted, you know. And yet feeling um you know, a distance between me and some of the other kids because I felt like um, they were making fun of me. Now I look back and they really weren't. They were just really curious. They were curious why. what that word meant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I realized that um, different is not necessarily bad. And so I think when you look at a uh, shame, a shame is, um, again, it can keep us on the right track if we've done something wrong. Um, but without shame, it just meant I'm being who I am, the way I was created. And so then I think it took over a series of years that I, I started to realize I am who I am, and that's okay. You know, like, um, there were some words I did not say anymore because I realized that's just a check word and they don't know it, you know? Or I, you know, maybe there were some pronunciations that I could say differently. Um, but again, it helped me realize that I can be who I am. God created me who I am, and I am who I am without shame. And so that's kind of the, the circle it took me, even at a very young age. I love that reflection so much. I, uh, I I was looking at my definition that I looked up, and I was like, mm -hmm. I hear what Sister is saying. St. Augustine says that the deepest desire of the human heart is to see another and to be seen and to receive the loving look of another and so that i could see you walked into that classroom as a little girl and you're like wait how are they looking at me <laughs> but then but then um another reflection was on shame that um it helped me wrap my my mind around this because because really like sister said when we receive shame it's often that our conscience is moving us and and to try to see the other more clearly or to correct if someone's not seeing us 
clearly. So it's it's very important, even though Adam and Eve, you know, had naked without shame before they received that. So this was a new kind of an experience for them. Um, but I like this definition of shame too. It helped me consider all the things going on in my life. And it says that um, shame really tries to separate the inseparable relationship of our body and soul, making it either um, opposed to both in and through. So we feel this stirring of God's plan, this um, we're, we're supposed to be body and soul, the physical and the spiritual, but but shame is that when we're separating, when we're looking at a person as just a body, we're, we're kind of putting them in a box. And so it's this struggle that we have that I think it does help us towards that goal that our Lord said before us when we're not driving around with flat tires. We kind of see more clearly. <laughs> yeah, Patty, I wrote down that Augustine quote too because it is, it is so true. It is so true. The deepest desire of the human heart is to see another and be seen by the other's loving look. And it really goes back to that push-pull, Rochelle, that you were talking about. Like, I want everyone to notice me and see me, but you better not take advantage of me. And, you know, I think that I was listening to a reflection on modesty, and they were talking about, you know, modesty is way more than just covering your body up with clothing. It is a way of being and um, not attention-seeking. And so they were they were saying that the true test of modesty is are you trying to get everyone's attention? Because the deepest desire of your heart is intimacy. And Christopher West will say, Into me you see, that is intimacy. So really all we really want in our deepest desire is that handful of people that truly love us and know us and see us for who we are. But what happens is we end up doing a lot of things to seek other people's attention that may be by what we wear. It may be by what we, how we act. Um, I mean, my meditation even said, even having a loud laugh or a quirkiness about you that draws undue attention, you need to really think about why are you drawing all that attention to yourself? What are you truly seeking? Are you seeking intimacy? Is that the way to really get a deep relationship with those people? If you're trying to get a deep relationship with every single person in the room, you're not seeking intimacy. Mm-hmm. And that just really struck me. And I think that's a great litmus test for modesty of, you know, how am I acting? How am I dressing? Am I trying to seek an intimacy, a deep relationship with a handful of people around me? Or am I just trying to get everyone to notice me so that I can then criticize them for judging me or for, you know, paying attention to me when I was trying to actually get their attention? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's it's a great thing to reflect on. Yeah, that's so good. Well, you guys are amazing. <laughs> I love listening to you. So I had a few reflections, um, and as you can tell, I mean, there's just so much richness here and so many different things that you could sit with in this um, in this section of audiences. But a couple things that really stuck out to me in reflecting about when he talked about after the fall, the way that they experienced their bodies, he says that the word then, when it says then the eyes of them, the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. 
He said that indicates a new moment and a new situation that followed the breaking of the first covenant, and it led to a new experience of the body. And I really felt a lot of sadness about that when I was um, reflecting on it and praying with it. Just what was lost in that moment, the purity with which they were able to see each other, which we're going to get to really more in the next section, like what it actually would have looked like for them, what we can discern. So I felt experienced that sadness. But again, when we talked about this last episode, we always have to remember when we feel that twinge of um, sadness and loss, um, that that those places, that's exactly Um, where Jesus came to heal and to restore and to make us even better than in the beginning. So we just always need to sort of keep that in mind. But one thing that he talks about is that when it says that they realized they were naked after the fall, it doesn't mean that they didn't know they were naked before the fall. Um, It's not, he says, it's not a question of passing from not knowing to knowing, but it does indicate a radical change. This is a quote, a radical change in the meaning of the original nakedness of the woman before the man and of the man before the woman. So it impacted the way they saw each other and the way they experienced their bodies. And I love, sister, that you were kind of reflecting on your personal experience um, with shame because as we mentioned last episode, I think it was last episode or maybe the one before, but we talked about how the way that we can understand these original experiences is by sort of looking at what we know, what we've experienced, and then try to figure out what the flip side of that would be. And so I was also reflecting on my experience of shame, especially as it relates to relationships with men in particular. And his definition of shame, I definitely could relate very much to that, that desire and drive to be seen, known, and loved that we all have. But at the same time, this feeling of just completely not feeling worthy of the love of others and and really afraid of being used or hurt in some way. Um, I really felt like if anyone knew all about me, surely I would be rejected, right? So I had a lot of walls up in relationships. And I sort of did that push-pull. I lived that where I sort of vacillated between really like chasing after that committed relationship with a person and then like acting like I didn't care and just like going out (laughs) with whoever with no intention of commitment. And I think I was trying to get that need met for attention and approval, but without real intimacy in order to protect myself. And that was not very fun. I mean, I might've had fun for a minute, but then it was terrible and very lonely and miserable. So, you know, once I, I've already shared a lot of this of my story, but when I began to get honest with myself, God and others, I became capable of giving and receiving love um, in a unselfish way. And that happens when you become grounded in your identity and like who you are as a child of God. So when I think about that, I imagine that that's how Adam and Eve were able to not experience shame because they knew who they were, right? Like they were so completely integrated and sure of their place in creation that they were able to then see the other with complete purity, right? There was no insecurity or fear. Um, 
And so they, they didn't need all the walls up, you know, that we might put up in our experience. So, and then I love, this is one of my favorite quotes from this section. Um, he writes that the phrase, they did not feel shame, does not express a lack, but on the contrary, they serve to indicate a particular fullness of consciousness and experience. Above all, the fullness of understanding the meaning of the body connected to the fact that they were naked. And he then says that sexual shame is linked with the loss of the original fullness. So that's what he's going to start to like dive into now is what what was this fullness of consciousness that they experienced? And you guys really have talked about this already in such a beautiful way through the Rua Woods um, curriculum. And I'm just so grateful um, for that. But he based and this is sort of simplified, too, but he says um, we're going to move on to the the next audiences, which is audience um, 12, 3 through 13, 1. Um, but he says that they're able to see each other in two ways, um, really simultaneously. Um, they obviously have that physical vision or their exterior perception of each other, right? So they, through their senses, um, encounter the world. Um, we talked about this in Original Unity, how it is by seeing the other that they understand their humanity, right? And their unity with each other and that they're different from the other creatures. So they have that exterior vision, but they also have this inner dimension of seeing, which is a more spiritual vision in which they understand it fully that they're made in the image of God and that they are each very good. So again, they knew this about themselves and then they knew that about the other person very clearly. Um, and then he goes into talking about the hidden meaning of vision and more about intimacy, which is so incredibly beautiful. And that all leads us to what our next episode is going to be about. So um, he's setting this all up just so amazingly. Um, but so like I already mentioned, and I'll just um, start us off discussing it, but um, they were able to see both, both the the physical vision and also that inner dimension. And so the objective, this is part of John Paul II's his philosophy, is that the objective reality, what we see, should match and correspond with that inward subjective reality. And they had that so completely and perfectly. Again, there were no barriers. There were no walls to put up or wounds to protect um, before sin came into the world. And John Paul II says that they had a share in the vision of the Creator Himself, which is what you were talking about, Katie, that they could look at the world and each other the way that God sees. And my favorite quote, which somebody may have already said, I don't remember, about the interior gaze, but he says, they see and know each other, in fact, with all the peace of the interior gaze, which creates precisely the fullness of the intimacy of persons. Um, and I just think that is so beautiful. So I just wanted to share a little bit about like how I've already shared about sort of the brokenness that I've experienced in relationships, but just real briefly, and we will this we're going to come back to this topic again about vision. But I know I've shared before about um, that. The Lord led me into a recovery group, which truly did change me in so many ways, but especially the way that I was able to see 
men um, because in that group there were men and women both sharing um, as we say in 12-step experience strength and hope and um, as I listened it truly was like scales falling from my eyes as I listened to these men share their stories it really does move me still to think about it because I began to hear in their stories me, myself and my story even though like our outward experiences might have been different their underlying emotions and spiritual experiences and all their fears and insecurities and desires were so the same as mine and I really began to see them truly as my brothers rather than you know someone that I need to fear or protect myself from or or use on the other hand and so I really could then see our common humanity and really desire the good for them and began praying for them. You know, if I was attracted to someone or wanted someone to be attracted to me, I could go to prayer, you know, because they're my brother. Like, I love this person Mm -hmm. and I want them to be truly happy and blessed. Um, And so this is, I'm sharing this because I really believe this is what Jesus wants for men and women, for us to truly see each other again, you know, and not be afraid of each other, but to love one another truly and want the best. So I I have experienced this healing in my life. And so I hope that if there's anyone listening who um, can relate to any of that and feels like they're not sure that they can experience that kind of healing. I just want you to know that it is absolutely a promise that you can have. Um, and and it is very, very good. And I know we're going to come back to this later too. We're going to talk a lot about the gift of self and um, when we get to the Song of Songs as well. But now I'm going to open it up to you ladies um, to talk about this last uh last section Rochelle I I loved hearing that story and it resonates with me and and the stories of of many that I've talked to that really it's how our Lord's helping us develop that fleshy heart because you know in Adam and Eve before the fall they they had that awareness of each other and then they recognized more than we can ever even imagine that shift they saw things differently and they saw they, they felt and experienced in all those levels that you were mentioning and and so that I think, you know, as my daughter said, you know, I could never obtain that. But, but you know, as you said, you you knew what the goal was. You, you were talking about that. And so that, so that when we consider that, it helps us to listen to the other's story mm-hmm. and recognize that, oh, they fell, but that doesn't ruin them. It helps develop a more realness with them. And I was listening to a really unique podcast with um, Chris Devanovich and... Um, and um, Father Mike Schmidt, and he was talking about that, the, you know, that really seeing the person intimately, you know, the walls are up, you know, why are they behaving as they do? But as we walk with them and listen to their stories, you know, not to fix them, but to hear what's going on. And then by them being loved, it helps them to walk and see more like our Lord wants us to. So so in a very real sense, I, I love listening or reading through Theology of the Body step by step, step by step, because it just informs my heart and helps me know that's okay that I'm not perfect. I'm striving mm-hmm. and grace will will fill in. And when we share our stories, there's there's so much beauty in it, even in our own fallenness. 
Right. Absolutely. And I know too, that like, I was just, I forgot to mention how like until all of that happened and and that vision began to be healed, I wouldn't have been ready for meeting my husband gratefully mm-hmm. in God's providence. Mm-hmm. All of that happened before Will came along. I don't think he would have been super interested in me, honestly, because of just all the insecurity. But like, it's just awesome how God works in his timing. Like I was ready to have a, you know, really reciprocal loving relationship with someone, you know, at that point, whenever he came along. So a really deep knowing a real Mm -hmm. deep knowing because you've had these experiences. Yeah. When I look at the the two ways of seeing the physical vision and the the more spiritual vision, uh, who came to my mind very quickly was Mother Teresa. She sees the poor, or she saw the poor. She saw the people who were in the streets and needing food and needing medical care. But she saw with the spiritual eyes. She saw them uh, as children of God with a dignity made in his likeness and image. Uh, And she loved them. You know, and, I, and it wasn't because of what they were wearing, what they did, how they spoke, or anything. She loved them because she could see with that interior eye. And again, we know our, our body expresses our person. And she could see the hurt of Christ in them and that she needed to, to reach out to them. And so that's kind of where my mind uh, focused on. That's so good. I love it. That is all we have time for in this episode. Um, know that we are absolutely praying for you. We know that this is all very sensitive where we just acknowledge that and are aware and we're praying for you um, just that the Lord will work deeply in your life and um, just continue to encourage you to listen and pray and be open to what he wants to do. Um, in the next episode, we're actually going to begin a new section of the text that's entitled Man in the Dimension of Gift. Um, and that'll be, there's two parts to that. Um, next episode, we're going to focus on the spousal meaning of the body which will be an ongoing theme for the rest of the text, actually. Um, But we'll be looking at audiences 13.2 through 16.2. So again, thank you so much for being part of this journey with us. And until next episode, God bless. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. We can be reached by email at befilledpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram. There you can find additional encouragement in between episodes. Also, be sure to check out our show description for links to resources we discuss in the show, as well as questions for deeper reflection. Until the next episode, God bless.